Across the South, black workers have had enough. They're organizing, making coalitions, and trying to get their fair share of the American dream. My name is Herb White, and this is In Other Words. Naomi Harris was fed up with work. At a mod pizza store in Columbia, South Carolina, she despaired the lack of air conditioning in the kitchen, racial bias in staffing, and homophobic and racist language by management. Instead of quitting, she organized. She got her colleagues together, and together they just stopped working. All in the name of change. Discrimination and homophobia on the job. Our general manager went up to two of my black uh, co-workers and said, black people have fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, and watermelon. What do white people have? We eat that stuff too. Our shifts were segregated. So the, the night shift, was, which was the hardest shift, was mainly black people. And then the... um. Morning self was the white workers and just a sprinkle of the black workers who couldn't work night shift. The slowdown worked. The restaurant's district manager was fired and a new cooling system was installed in the kitchen. That success was Harris's first as a labor organizer, which has been a historically difficult proposition in the South, especially for black workers. Inspired, Harris joined with union leaders and in November of last year, they co-founded the Union of Southern Service Workers. What it, it just struck a nerve in my body, like, in a good way. Like, I just, it just feels amazing to be doing something like this. Like, it's, a, it's powerful. It's something that everybody can benefit from. It's not nothing selfish and stuff like that. We're just asking for what we deserve, which is something we shouldn't even have to ask for. That the USSW was formed in South Carolina, which has the lowest union membership rates in the nation at 1.7%, is telling. Black workers, who have historically underpinned the South's service economy, are empowering themselves as advocates of change, said old Jennifer Dixon McKnight, assistant professor of history and African American studies at Winthrop University in Rock Hill. I think that, you know, when we talk about the experiences of African-Americans when it comes to labor, um, we've always been on the margins. We've always been in a situation of deficit and exclusion and discrimination. So, you know, black people in this country have always had a sort of... Um, difficult relationship when it comes to their experiences in the workplace. Um, I'm not surprised when we think about, so for instance, when we think about um, the resistance that we see in regards to, um, well, let me say this. When we think about how, like right now, you, you see all these signs and windows, you know, help wanted, hiring. Um, you know, it's. I think that as a nation, we've gone through a number of 
shifts in terms of labor um, and the ways in which the working class show up. And I think that this is another one of those moments where we are responding, um, working class Americans are responding to the broader experience. And so when you think about COVID, uh, the impact that it has, has had on the lives of Americans, um, the disparities that we saw emerging as a result of COVID um, impacting specific communities. Um, so for instance, in terms of how black people experience COVID and the disparities that black people experience, um, how the poor experience COVID um, and the disparities that came out as a result. I think about um, the workforce in a very similar way that th there's a, a, a difference in how African-Americans are have always experienced the workforce. Um, but when we see the sort of fallout from COVID, the way that the working class is responding, um, whether they're, uh, have decided to go back to work or not, I think in a lot of ways you see a connection between that and the relationship that has always existed between the African American community and the work, and the workforce uh, or the workplace. And I guess I wonder, and I've thought about whether part of what we see is people having a different experience in terms of, you know, for a lot of people, COVID sort of has wrung America out, right? COVID has changed the way that we do things, has changed our normal. Um, and so I think it's fair when we think about how that being the case that black people are gonna, or and people in general are going to experience um, and even view what it means to be a working person because the workplace has changed, right? Um, when you think about the difference pre-COVID of, of how the classroom, right? Or the grocery store or um, even in higher ed teaching, right? The workplace has changed. The way that I teach today can't be the same way that I taught before COVID. Because the way that I define teaching, the way that education looks, all those things are different. And so I think what we all, what we see is that as all those things have shifted, um, people have been exposed to, um, different possibilities. So working doesn't necessarily mean I have to go into somebody's place of employment. I don't have to show up in a space. Um, We've seen all kinds of, even as the shifts have happened in terms of industry and some things have declined, we've seen a great deal of industry emerging in the midst of all of this. We've seen, I mean, who knew that, um, like when you think about, I can imagine how Clorox, you know, as an industry, as a, as a, as a conglomerate has changed as a result of this moment. Um, and, and how that then trickles down to people who, um, are working Americans and, and the way that they work and the way that they relate to those companies. I think there's been a shift in the dynamic where people, working people have been able to, um, understand the shift in supply and demand, not supply and demand of product, but supply and demand in terms of the employees themselves providing, um, their work as a resource. We have a shared set of demands with, for the service industry. Like we demand everything that 
Urban meds can be used nationwide because it's the basic things that everybody asks for. Because no matter what job you work at, it's always the same. It's just a different name. So when we're but in the South, the South has the lowest uh, union rate numbers. It's the black, like what they call the black belt. And Columbia, South Carolina, uh, well, South Carolina in general has the lowest which is why we had our summit in Columbia, South Carolina. Because the South, if you look at it, if you look at history, the South is always the last to try and change for the better good. When it came down to slavery, the South fought so hard. They fought so hard for slavery to stay intact. Just because the South feels like they have to stay, they they, they better than everybody or something. The South never wants to grow with every with the rest of the country. The South wants to stay down and keep the poor poor and keep the rich richer. For a nation and a region still grappling with the fallout of COVID, racial justice, economic equity, what it means to work, dignity at work. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces, and black workers are finding agency and their own voices. For the black community in particular, I think about it in terms of, if you have a, a group of people who have already experienced deficits and discrimination and exclusion, um, and you know already grappling with being among the lowest wage earners in the country, so there's already all of these challenges that black people as a community face going into the workplace. And the thing that you're mentioning, not only am I grappling with these issues, right? Just as on, on the basis of being black and in a workspace, these are the things I've had to face historically, right? When you add the challenges that come up about as a result of COVID. So I'm not only am I dealing with the discrimination and the exclusion and things of that sort because of my race. But now I'm dealing with all of that compounded by the threat or the, the danger of contracting COVID. I'm also dealing with that on top of the fact that because or in the wake of the pandemic, we now see and in, in the work short or the, the shortage of employees, we're now in spaces where we're being taxed even further. So I'm already in a position where I'm viewed as um viewed differently, why well, I'm discriminated against and mistreated in these spaces. But now where there used to be a staff of 10, there's just me and one other person. So not only have I had to suffer with the things that I've had to grapple with because of my race, but now you're adding on top of that, this um, level of exhaustion, this being stretched thin in these workspaces, on top of the fact that I've already been at a deficit and a disadvantage coming into these spaces. And so you have people who are having to make decisions about how they're going to move forward with those things in mind, right? Black people have historically been, um, have had to grapple with their financial circumstances and being driven in these spaces by financial need. Um, you know, many of, of the decisions that working class black people make are, are sort of uh, driven by a, 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 a need to survive, right? To be able to, to earn and provide for themselves and their families. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I might go to a job and work the job, not my favorite place to be, not out of, you know, love for the position, but out of necessity. But, and, and even in the face of all of these barriers and obstacles and oppressions, but now on top of that, right, to add insult to injury, now we're in a space where on top of all of those things, I'm having to grapple with my health. And if, if for black people, their sort of well-being, their physical ability is their capital. How am I supposed to go to work if I'm being threatened with illness? And an illness that up until recently, a lot of people were dying from, right? But then you connect that piece to, it, which sort of ties into a much bigger issue for the African-American community. You know, you know, people are, we, we've gotten back to normal because of the availability of vaccines, right? But for the African-American community, there's a breakdown between black people and healthcare. There's a distrust between black people and healthcare. So yes, the world is opening back up because of vaccines, but we still find that in black communities, you still have black communities where vaccines are more readily available because they're not being utilized in black communities at the same rate that they are in other communities. Um, and a lot of that is being driven by this distrust and this breakdown in the relationship. So that's the other piece is that for black people, they don't necessarily have the same kind of security in terms of the health piece, in terms of the vaccination, because black people aren't being vaccinated at the same rate as their counterparts from other communities. Um, and so that's the other piece is that I'm going into the workplace, right? I'm, I'm being faced with doing the jobs of now five people. And I'm doing all of that under the, uh, the stress and the oppression of grappling with my being discriminated against or mistreated or having these obstacles because of my race. Thank you for listening to In Other Words. This episode is part of a series produced in partnership with Pulitzer Center. You can check us out online at thecharlottepost.com, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the podcast, obviously, wherever you download your podcasts. For all of us at the Charlotte Post, my name is Herb White. Thanks for listening.